Right, we're going to dive into our word this morning, into God's word. I uh, encourage you to get your Bibles out. Uh, as you're getting them, uh, I want to give you a few words of encouragement that I heard from uh, a man that I really love uh, deeply, Francis Chan. I love his thinking and his heart behind uh, the way that he pastors people. And here are three words that he said for the church in the midst of this craziness. Uh, that number one, we would not lose our love. Uh, this cannot be taken away. And, and even ways that we're able to show love could be greater now than ever. How can we encourage the others focused and, and look outward? Uh, the second one is to not lose our joy in the midst of um, the presence of God uh, in a big church building. It is so enjoyable to have joy together and to be passionate but that joy cannot be stolen from us. And actually, the private worship of our hearts and our minds, just alone with God's word, fuels these gatherings even more. So I encourage you, find joy with just you and your Jesus this week. And the third one is not to lose our peace. And Jesus says in uh, John chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now see, he's gone to prepare a place for us in his father's house where there are many rooms. Um, and, and even the passage of to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Uh, he said it this way that, man, why do we fear gaining something? Um, for those that know Christ, even death can be something of a gain. Uh, let's be anchored by this peace. And actually, all three of these are things that as God's spirit works in us, these are the fruits uh, of being submitted to him, the fruits of the spirit. Uh, well, we're going to read our passage together as we are talking about the last seven statements of Christ. John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. It says this, Later, knowing that evening had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you now, asking you to be our guide, our teacher. Lord, you know my heart, my desire is that we as a church would fall more in love with Jesus in his death on the cross as we're uh, navigating through these words. Man, can, would we uh, be able to know him deeper, Lord, we pray. Teach us from your word and, and show us things maybe that we've never known before as we study. We're attentive, we're waiting, we want to hear. Teach us, God, in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, we've been studying the last uh, seven words of Jesus on the cross. Actually, these candles here each represent one of those words. And over the last number of weeks, we've been extinguishing uh, one of those candles as each of those words are spoken, signifying the expiring life of Jesus on the cross. We're on the fifth statement today. Um, and the first three actually are in relation to um, others. And uh, Jesus says these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The second one, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise, right? He's talking to the thief on the cross and, and giving him eternal life. And the third one, uh, speaking to um, 
right here, dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother, connecting uh, the two, uh, his mom and his disciple, right there connected, that they would have this new relationship, speaking to others. And then going on with the fourth statement, right in the middle of these seven, the fourth statement is to his father God, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The final three statements relate to Jesus and actually his, uh, him himself, his body, his soul, and his spirit. And so the one we're on today is, I am thirsty, the words that Jesus speaks on the cross. I got to say, leading up to uh, these weeks of studying the last seven words of Christ, uh, I was excited to get to preach as part of the Easter sermon series and, and super excited for that. And when I realized that on the calendar, I drew the lucky straw and got the one that was just three words. I am thirsty. Man, how am I going to make an entire sermon uh, out, of, out of just those three words? Well, I got to tell you, after studying and being in God's word, even this, this week uh, in a more intentional way, man, the, the beauty of words that are spoken here on the cross uh, give me just a, a new, renewed joy for, for Christ. And so my hope and my prayer, my goal is that you would fall more in love with Christ again as we spend time uh, tackling this passage. And so I got three cries that I want to share with you this morning that uh, Jesus cries out on the cross. They're all in I am thirsty and the surrounding words. But the first cry is that Jesus cries to fulfill the scriptures. Look in verse um, 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And then it goes on and then he speaks the words, I am thirsty. Well, if you're learning to study uh, your Bible and you want to just come to the text and and begin asking some questions, okay? So uh, maybe you're asking, uh, why are these things written here? If, if you're asking questions like me, you're going to ask these three questions. What was finished that happened? And what scripture was to be fulfilled when he spoke those words? And the third question is, why is this fulfillment even so important that it would be focused on here? Well, I think one of the cool things is that if we just look at the little pieces that are fulfilled here on the cross, we miss the grand scope of what's been happening all throughout the life of Christ. And so this chart, maybe you can see it, maybe you can't. And if you can't, go search for it. But these are prophecies that have been made all about Christ's life um, throughout. And and in Old Testament scriptures on the left, uh, and then all the fulfillment of that that happened in the New Testament about Jesus. So things like being born of a virgin in Bethlehem and that he was famed for wisdom in in Isaiah that was prophesied. He lived a sinless life, healing the needy and even preaching the good news and that he would enter Jerusalem in triumph, Zechariah prophesied. All those things came true. Not only that, but the ones that were prophesied about his death and resurrection here, betrayed by a friend, we find that in Psalms, sold for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah says. The silent, he, he was silent when accused. We know that as he appeared before Pilate and they asked him, what do you make of all this? Speak for yourself. He was silent. He was crucified with sinners and beaten and spat upon. All these things had happened in the past. Jesus fulfilled them. And as we look at that, I got to think, man, this, 
this whole agenda of all these things being fulfilled, man, wasn't this God's plan all along, right? It was God's plan and his agenda to, to give these things that Jesus would be the fulfillment of them. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He literally would be the fulfillment of these things. He, he then talks with some religious leaders who are questioning his authority uh, in the book of John chapter 10. And he says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So imagine the command given. Jesus, you're going to go, you're going to lay your life down for, uh, for sinners, for broken people. That was the goal of the mission, the purpose. He's the fulfillment. And then Jesus praying in the garden before he's arrested in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Father, he says, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And he just doesn't want to suffer in this way. And then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. So we know what was finished all up until this point. Jesus became and was the fulfillment of all these things prophesied. So the question then, the second one here is what was yet to be fulfilled? If we go back to verse 28, we know that everything had been finished. And then it says in verse 28, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So it's in continuation of this, uh, every prophecy, everything about Jesus has been fulfilled, that Jesus speaks these words, I am thirsty. Now, it would have come from one of two places, probably, in the book of Psalms. The first one here says in Psalm 22, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. That's literally like a broken piece of pottery. Uh, It's broken, it's dry, it's cracked, there's just no liquid left in it. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Or Psalm 69, 21 is probably more where this came from. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. These two things are, are yet to be fulfilled in the words that Jesus speaks. I am thirsty. But the question is, why is this fulfillment so important? Well, uh, I got to tell you, I'm back in uh, school. I'm at Missio Seminary. Um, I did my undergrad in biblical studies and spent some time reading through all this Old Testament law and prophecy and and even in my personal times with God through many years of study, just being there as well. But I'm getting the chance to redo this again uh, with some deeper study in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm kind of I'm knee deep in that all on Zoom platform, which if you're doing that at home with your kids, bless you. Um, it's not easy for kids to do it online and it's not easy for me to do it at seminary either. It's not fun. In person is so much better. But why is this fulfillment so important? And I got to take you back to the system that was in place for when people would do things that were wrong. What would happen was there would need to be a sacrifice to pay for the wrong, the brokenness that was done. And so uh, there was all sorts of different animal sacrifices that were made Uh, And this system was set up even long before Jesus came. Actually, it began right in the garden. You see, Adam and Eve 
first sin and they ate the, the fruit from the tree. And one of the first things they realized was, man, we're, we're naked. We got to cover ourselves. And so they grabbed fig leaves and they were ashamed and they covered themselves. And quickly after that, God speaks to them and he makes them uh, skins uh, for, of, of animals and he, and he covers them using this sacrificed animal. And what a beautiful picture all the way back in the garden that when there was sin, when there was wrong, a life was sacrificed and a new way was born. Jesus was on his way to fulfill and be the sacrifice for sin once for all, forever, the sacrifice. Jesus, the fulfillment of scripture, cried out in total obedience to his father according to the scriptures. All right, the second one here is that Jesus cried out uh, in a physical pain. Uh, Verse 28, it says, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, you see, at this time, there was a group of people called the Gnostics, and they were living in the first century AD, looking back on what had already happened of Jesus on the cross, and they said, you know what? If Jesus was God, there's no way that he could be man in the flesh, because everything flesh on earth was bad, and the spiritual realm, everything was good. And so how could these two things be together? And so they claimed that either Jesus was a man, and couldn't be God, or that Jesus was God and, and actually truly felt no pain or suffering on the cross. They actually said that maybe he just kind of floated along and never even left footprints because he was that spirit. Uh, and as we read, Jesus was thirsty and was offered a, a drink of wine vinegar soaked on a sponge. But if, if we look back, there's actually two, uh, two attempts here at Jesus being offered this this drink of wine vinegar. The the one on the cross that we are talking about is the second one. So let's go back to the the first time this happened. And this is the account of that in Matthew 27, uh, verse 34. As he was walking up the hill next to Simon carrying the cross, they offered him wine mixed with gall. He tasted and refused to drink it. Mark also records this in 1523. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and after tasting it, he refused. You see, this was a uh, a common practice at the time that people who were going to be executed, people who were going to be crucified, uh, there were people that would come and offer them these uh, wine vinegar uh, drinks mixed with either myrrh or frankincense. Gall is the, the general term, meaning this is this bitter herb. And they mixed the two together, and it actually produced a way for them to feel less pain. Uh, It was kind of like this drug drink to to numb their senses or to dull the pain. But here we note, in the first time that he's offered this, on the way to the cross, that Jesus refused. In his humanity, Jesus wanted to feel the full weight of physical suffering and pain, totally conscious to what he was going through. He did that for me, for you. I want to do a quick recap of 
the events of Jesus leading up to the cross. Remember, uh, the night before his death, he and his disciples were in the upper room and they were celebrating the Passover and they had uh, a bread and they had the wine there. And at the Last Supper is the last recorded time that we know Jesus took a drink. Okay, and so he would leave the Last Supper and head into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's praying there late into the night, what happens? He's sweating drops of blood because of how uh, scared and in agony and and just torn up over the fact that he is going to go to lay down his life in death on the cross. He's arrested, taken to various trials. In between 6 and 7 a.m., he was sentenced uh, and beaten. And if we understand the severity of other cases, this is very much what Jesus experienced. Brutally uh, being uh, hit with whips and and all sorts of things, losing an additional amount of blood. Not only did he sweat drops of blood, but he lost blood as he was uh, beaten and and mocked. At 8 a.m., he was led up to Calvary up on the hill where he was offered that drink to kind of numb and dull the pain. He said, no. I'm going to go and experience the full weight of this. By 9 a.m., he was crucified on the cross. His his hands were stretched out, and the soldiers cast lots for his clothing. And at 10 a.m., there was more insults and mockery, and Jesus still hanging on the cross. 11 a.m., the criminal next to him, and he had that, that conversation where he eventually says, Today, you will be with me in paradise. By noon, darkness had covered the whole land, and by 1 p.m. as we find the words, I am thirsty. Now, it would be right to assume that with all the loss of blood, the various trials that Jesus felt the pain and actually in his humanity probably was in a great deal amount of thirst. Uh, just before I uh, got in here to, to spend time teaching uh, you, I, I, I actually was like, man, I'm, I'm pretty thirsty. I need to, need to get something to drink. And and I searched all over, and Ben, I went into your fridge, couldn't find something to drink, um, and so I found a cup eventually and got some water, and um, I could have just gone to the water fountain, but man, I was thirsty, and I went after it right away. It was just a natural human reaction. I'm thirsty. I need something to drink. Jesus cried out of his humanity as his body was breaking down completely, and then was offered another drink from the, the sponge on the hyssop plant. This was the second drink. The one, the first one was to numb the pain that he said no to. And the second one was offered to him when he cried out, I am thirsty. The crowds had had a long night chanting and maybe some followers and soldiers were left there as Jesus was uh, expiring on the cross. And when he cried out, this is what it says, a, a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, again, we have to stop here and ask some questions of the text. Man, and if you're like me, I'm asking, first of all, was there just like wine vinegar sitting around up on this hill where the crosses are? Like, why in the world was there just a jar that happened to be there with wine vinegar? The second thing is, where did the sponge come from and how did that get into this story? And the third is, what is the significance of this hyssop plant? Why did it need to be called out? Why couldn't it just been a stick or a sword? Why the hyssop plant? Well, wine vinegar was likely actually at this point a drink called posca. And this was a drink of wine vinegar and maybe some spices, but 
particularly this was after the alcohol had kind of soured and spoiled and this was kind of this yucky uh, wine vinegary drink but it was a, a, a drink that was used in such a way that they could mix it with water and the strong taste of the wine vinegar would overpower some of the disgusting water they would drink. It also acted as a way to quench their thirst and keep bacteria away and prevent scurvy so they wouldn't die from drinking bad water. And so it was actually something that Romans would have carried with them as they were going about. Their posca was actually kind of like a, a Roman version of Gatorade, if you will. And so that's what was offered to Jesus the second time on the cross. Not to take away, but actually to allow him to, to gain something back that he could speak the continuing words on the cross. Well, where did the sponge come from and, and how does that kind of play in here? Great question. Sponges actually could have come from one of a few places or one of a few um, things they would have done with these sponges. The first is they were used to line the helmet of, of Roman soldiers and as their sweat and as uh, all that perspiration gathered, it would gather in those sponges and they were able to, uh, kind of like in a bike helmet, uh, it would gather their sweat while they were wearing those things. Sponges were also used, uh, they would tuck it in their belt and would use it to gather some water and then be able to squeeze it out and, and drink. Potentially that was what this sponge was for, but there's also a third sponge use. And the Roman soldiers would have been carrying them as part of their kit in order that when they had to go to the bathroom, this sponge was their toilet paper. It was their thing that they would use to clean themselves. Man, if you put yourself into this place where you're knowing all that Jesus did, all the sin that he's going to pay for, and then you begin to look into the way that he suffered, including the shame potentially of drinking off of someone's sponge. And this is, this is my Jesus dying for me. And we get to lean in closely here. It, it's possible one of the soldiers standing by out of compassion offered up his uh, posca to, to Jesus. You see, he was standing nearby watching this human suffer and die on the cross. But unlike any other person they'd probably ever seen, there was no cursing, there was no fighting back, no anger, no blaming. And this soldier grabbed uh, his sponge and grabbed a stalk from the hyssop plant and passed Jesus the drink, potentially out of compassion for him. Interestingly, hyssop was the same plant used in a significant moment in scripture way back when the Israelites were in uh, Egyptian captivity, right? Uh, we know this story, the 10 plagues, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, and the, the plagues happen one after the other after the other. And as Moses was leading, uh, God said the 10th plague I am going to uh, send the angel of death and they will come around and kill the firstborn male child in each household. It was going to be brutal. And God wanted to spare his people and all those children. And so he said, take a hyssop plant and then you would take a, a, a spotless lamb and you would sacrifice this lamb. And when you would sacrifice this lamb, dip the hyssop plant in the midst of this blood and then you would paint the doorway of your house with this blood, letting the angel of death know that he could pass over this house for a sacrifice 
had already been made. This was the hope. This was their great hope that one day the Passover lamb, the sacrifice system, would eventually be done away with. Likely there was hope for that soldier who right up until Jesus' death was a participant in his crucifixion. Maybe the hope is, as we've seen even in uh, previous weeks in our series, it's never too late to seek the forgiveness of the dying Jesus on the cross for you, for me. We are invited to enjoy that same protection from death that the Israelites experienced uh, when the Passover happened. Um, This deliverance from sin by believing in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sin in our place that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is our Jesus. The third thing that Jesus cries out is, is a cry out of his spiritual thirst. You see, every time John in his book used the word thirst, he Uh, referred to this spiritual thirst that happened three times for the woman at the well. And and as she was there, he, he said this to her, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There is a spiritual nature to this drink he's offering. He's saying, man, as I die and as my spirit comes in, this will be the the beautiful thing welling up inside of you to eternal life. And two other times he uses this in John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. This is not just a a drink of water, never thirst. This is a, I will never thirst for anything deeper spiritually because Christ is in me. John 7, 37 and 38, Jesus declared, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Jesus, without a doubt, was crying out in a spiritual thirst. Every human being has this deep longing, this deep ache inside of them that can only be satisfied by God. And Jesus, just moments after uh, his, his father rejected him and turned his, turned his back on him, cries out, I am thirsty. And we know that in this cry, there's something significant happening here. Because Jesus would die and be thirsty on our behalf so that we would never thirst again. A substitute for us on that cross. Jesus cried out in a spiritual thirst, also in fulfillment of Psalm 63 verse 1. It says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures and he cried out, I am thirsty in total obedience to the Father's plan, continuing on as it was prophesied. Jesus, the God-man, cried out in physical agony and pain as he took our place on the cross. 
not choosing to uh, relinquish the pain and push that away, but choosing to be uh, take that drink on the cross, knowing that it would provide him the full sense, being able to speak the next words that will come next week in our sermon series. And the third one, Jesus cried out in his distance from his father, thirsting spiritually, I am thirsty. Jesus came and experienced this brutal, painful death. And my hope and prayer is that you would know why he did this so that you and I would never have to thirst again. God, we come to you and are so thankful for Christ in our place. We look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith. God, make us hungry and thirsty for this life with you made possible by Jesus. Lord, I I pray even boldly that, that whatever we are eating and drinking in this life, trying to fill the void in our souls, man, I pray that nothing would satisfy our thirst and our hunger, that we would find this life empty apart from you. God, I thank you for providing a way for us to know you face to face because of Christ. Oh, we worship you, God. We ask these things that you would uh, guide us this week and that we would be people that hunger and thirst for righteousness with you. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.